This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Hello and welcome to Ask the Squiz, our weekend stroll through the burning questions that squizzes have about the 2022 election. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. Well, Claire, we've made it through the second week of the campaign. We probably shouldn't be too self-congratulatory. It was a short week and next week is the same with the Anzac Day holiday on Monday. It was a slightly quieter week. The campaign seemed to be finding its rhythm and then Anthony Albanese got COVID. Yeah, surprise, that (laughs) happened. And, of course, we move into a really new phase where we have to see what that looks like as he campaigns from isolation from his home in Sydney. I know that you and I could talk for ages about what it's going to look like to do a virtual campaign, but we're not here for that. Squizzers have some big questions about the election again this week, so let's get into it. There was a lot of talk this week about the prospect of a hung parliament with the election looking as close as it is. That prompted a question from Caitlin who asks, is a hung parliament actually that bad? One of the things I really love about Squizzes is that we get great feedback and one in 100 uh, is someone who's really narky about something that we've said, uh, but the feedback we usually get is very constructive and generous and it's really great. It's a great thing about the Squiz. Uh, one Squiz Today podcast listener this week also emailed us saying, you know, you guys are talking about a hung parliament like it's a bad thing and actually for some voters the prospect of the independence or the minor parties having the balance of power in the House of Reps is a positive. Were we talking about the hung parliament like it's a bad thing? Well, Eliza and I did talk about the saga. Uh, That was that 2010 election campaign when Tony Abbott almost Mm. beat that first-term Labor government that was led to the election by Julia Gillard. So, look, on the pro side, it certainly makes for a dynamic environment where it can be argued that the government of the day is more responsive to the agendas of those on the crossbench. They, of course, are the MPs who aren't members of the major parties. There are plenty of arguments against a hung parliament too, because it actually makes for a pretty volatile environment. Yeah, exactly. And you'll remember that there was a lot said about the negativity of Abbott and his team during that 2010 to 2013 cycle. And that's because for every day of those three years, they were just one seat away from being in power. So it was like a three-year-long election campaign and Mm. it was pretty bruising. Mm. Uh, And there are those who have a problem as well with just a small handful of MPs having so much influence because they aren't representative of what the majority of the nation wanted. So, for example, in 2010, more than 10 million out of Australia's 12 million voters selected a candidate from the major parties as their first choice. And that compares to the 250,000 voters who supported the crossbenchers, who then held the balance of power in that hung parliament. Look, it is something that's only happened once in the last 80-ish years, but it is another reason why this election is an exciting one. Claire, this question from Robert is a good one. He says he keeps hearing that no one smart ever enters politics. He doesn't necessarily agree with that, but he asks, what is the typical career path for an MP and why would someone smart from outside the system give up a good job to run? 
after an election, there's usually a bit of analysis about who has entered uh, and who are going to be our MPs for the term. So in the last term of government, the average federal MP was a man uh, born in 1969 who graduated from a private school, attained a university degree and worked in business or in management before being elected. And more and more, we're also seeing people who worked as staffers to politicians or with the party organisations or, in Labor's case, with the unions running for parliament. And some call it a professional political class. And that's what leads to concerns that members of parliament often have more in common with each other than with many of their constituents, really brings the phrase the Canberra bubble to mind. So to Robert's second question, why would someone outside the bubble run? Because they really want to make a difference to their community, uh, because they're passionate about a particular issue, uh, or because they have a contribution to make and they're willing to give over their lives to some good old-fashioned public service. Being an MP is hard work. It's a reminder, though, that it's also an incredible privilege. Now, Hannah would like to know more about the team that will form government. She says she hears a lot about the leaders, but wants to know more about those who will hold key portfolios. It's a really good point. The leaders are definitely the focus of these campaigns and it's a lot, particularly for a nation that doesn't actually elect their prime minister. Uh, We're electing our local representatives. Uh, You have to be a really heavy consumer of political news to know a lot about those beyond the party leaders, Um, those who hold key economic portfolios we see a bit of, maybe a couple of others right at the top of the tree. So to know a bit more about these people, you really need to get your tippy-typey fingers working (laughs) and look it up yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, The parties have extensive candidate profiles on their websites and the Australian Parliament House, so aph.gov.au, has a lot of information on those who have been previously elected. Uh, Also in this next week, with Albanese being in isolation, we're probably actually going to see a lot more of Labor's front bench than we have in the previous three years. Yeah, very true. If you are interested in exploring the teams of the parties, it is a good idea to get in and have a poke around yourself. So I'll put some of the links to their websites in the episode notes, as well as that one to Parliament House. Continuing on from that, Lucilla, sorry if I've got your name wrong there, says she feels like both parties are very similar. She wants to know about the significant differences between Labor and the Coalition, so the Liberals and the Nats, that can influence a vote. Get onto those websites <laughs> that will be in the episode mm-hmm. notes, have a poke around uh, and see what you think about what they're saying about their policies. Uh, hopefully our episodes this week about the major parties, the minor parties and the independents has also given you a bit of a sense about the philosophical differences. But there's one quick point to make about this campaign, uh, and that's that there's not a lot splitting the major parties when it comes to policy. That's a deliberate strategy by Labor this time around. Uh, They're actually waving through a lot of policies so as not to pick a fight. And that way, the theory goes anyway, it makes it harder for the coalition to campaign against Labor. And that way, the focus would be on Team Morrison's shortcomings. Got you. And you know what I think might also be handy? The closing statements that Morrison and Albanese gave at the end of the leaders' debate on Wednesday night. It's a good quick summary of their pitches in about 300 words. I'll also pop that in your episode notes. 
Now, Sally emailed us. She's new to Australian politics, so there's a lot about this election that she needs to get her head around. She asks if there are any books you'd recommend her to read to learn more. You know, I reckon one of the best books I've read about Australian politics is edited by that legendary journo Michelle Grattan. Mm -hmm. It's called Australian Prime Ministers. It's a gallop through the big names, the big issues, the really big battles and the achievements, uh, along with all of the elections and the party politics. So it's a bit of a masterclass. It's very entertaining. I reckon that's my pick. Nice one. It's uh, it's not available via online book retailers, but it is in a lot of libraries and you can also pick up a used copy online. I'll put the Goodreads profile in the episode notes so you can see the details. Gosh, we're giving people a lot of homework this episode, Claire. <laughs> it's not a one-way street, this. <laughs> You've got to do the work too. <laughs> All right, that's our questions done for this week. Two weeks down, four to go, along with a bit of a COVID week of campaigning. But we officially have less than a month until polling day. Was there anything that caught your eye in this past week in particular, Claire? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that Prime Minister Morrison spent so much time in Chisholm over Easter. Uh, Victoria is a really hard state for the coalition and Chisholm, uh, which is a Melbourne seat in the east, uh, is the second most marginal for the coalition. Gladys Liu holds that by a margin of just 0.5%. So the Prime Minister is putting quite a bit of time in there to try and shore it up, uh, which means that they think they can retain it. And that is a really big ask. It is always interesting to see where the leaders are spending their time. For me, this week, I was watching the stats that came out from the AEC, the Australian Electoral Commission. The deadline to enrol to vote was Monday and Australians did it in record numbers. There's officially 17,228,900 Australians enrolled to vote in the 2022 federal election. It's more than 800,000 more voters than 2019, which means we have an enrolment rate of 96.8%. In case you're wondering, the AEC reckons four and a half million pencils will be enough to get the voting job done. I think that wraps it up for Ask the Squiz. I'm going to be making Anzacs today, Claire, using your mum's recipe that you included in the Squiz today yesterday. Yeah, nice. Eileen made excellent Anzac bickies, so that'll be good. <laughs> uh, for me, Larissa, I've twisted my knee, so I'm not going mm. particularly far. It's getting a bit better, so that's good news. Uh I've done a big online supermarket order, though, so there's going to be those lamb shanks that I've been dreaming about all week. I'm looking (laughs) forward to those. I'm going to tee up that sports doco on Greg Norman. Uh, Sam from Sport Today said that it's excellent and he's never let me down with his recommendations. Uh, It's called Shark. 30 for 30. So I'm looking forward to that. Might just invite myself over on Monday for those lamb shanks. They sound delicious. (laughs) If there's any left over, you'd be lucky. (laughs) All right. Have a good long weekend. We will be back with the squiz today on Tuesday. And if you've got any questions about the election or the campaign, shoot it through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. We're having a blast answering them. Until next time. message now from our podcast partner, Hubble. You know what it's like. Your friend recommends a great film or TV show and you're excited to check it out, but suddenly realise you can't remember what she said it was. That's where Hubble, spelt H-U-B-B-L, comes in. 
It brings your streaming apps and free-to-air TV together into a single experience. You can easily search for your favourite content and keep track of what you want to continue watching. You can also watch free-to-air TV with or without an aerial using the integrated TV guide so you always know what's on and where. It's TV and streaming made easy. Go to hubble.com.au to find out more.